Daily at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 195 of Dogcast Radio. Coming up, we'll be going behind the scenes of a grooming salon with groomer Amy Elliott-Smith. You're bringing up all the hot potatoes <laughs> of the grooming world here. <laughs> well, that's what I like to do. Let's stir it up. <laughs> and we'll have the Dogcast Radio News. When the dog reached three months, it rejected the dog food it had been eating. Its tail grew longer than the average dog's, its fur became thicker, and its face began to grow very pointy. But before all that... I'm talking to a man who saw a need and came up with an idea to meet that need. I do admire people who think something should be done about this, and then they follow through and actually do that thing. In this case, Lowell Kaufman saw a need to have access to all your dog's health information and developed an app called Well-Informed Pet, inspired by his experiences with his own dog. I'm talking today to Lowell Kaufman. Hi, Lowell. Hi, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good, good, thank you. Good, good. So we're going to talk today about a really important um, subject, and you've, you founded the company Well-Informed Pet, and I know it's a subject that's very, very dear to you, but let's start with a subject that, another subject that's very, very dear to you, your own dog. So tell me about your dog, Kona. Yeah, um, you know, she's kind of the inspiration behind uh, the app I've created. Uh, anyway, uh, so Kona is... Uh, cockapoo six years old now uh as of like last month uh she's uh we think she's a cockapoo she's a rescue poo we know the mother is a poodle uh rescued from a puppy mill in missouri and uh the mother was actually rescued the day she had her litter and it was a big litter and it was like the the mother didn't fare all that well um i I didn't want to be a mother like even after giving the litter they had uh some sort of proxy dog take over that uh, at the fostering. Yeah. So she was raised in a foster for the couple first couple of months before we got her. So she was raised in a great environment, but um, she uh, she has uh, she has some health issues. She has uh, some digestive issues. Mm. I'm guessing it's part mostly genetic. A little bit of the breed, maybe, but it's mostly genetic. Probably part of the puppy mill uh, yeah. stuff that goes on. So um, so yeah. So we've had her. Uh, you know, she was transported via like a a. a Convoy of volunteers driving the, a lot of the litter from Missouri. Uh, since they were smaller dogs, I guess they do better. Um, they, they find better homes uh, on the East Coast where people tend to uh, want smaller dogs in general. So, uh, uh, so we've had her for for six years, and yeah. uh, you know the story basically is is simple. As far as uh, she, you know, she's great. I will say one quick anecdote, however. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rescue had said of the litter, and it, I said it was a large litter. They had commented when they paired us with uh, my wife and I paired with with Kona. They had said she is the dumbest dog in the litter, possibly <laughs> oh. the dumbest dog they have ever met. Oh bless! And so my question was: So why are you pairing Kona with us? <laughs> <laughs> what made that connection? Said so, dumb dog. You are the right couple for that. <laughs> so she's not dumb at all, by the way. Uh, you know, just just to resolve that, yes, she's yeah. quite clever. She has her, you know, she has her thing. She's 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 pretty perfect. Oh, <laughs> but. Nice. Uh, but she does have that health issue. So, so regarding the health issue, we were vacationing with Kona um, upstate. We live in New York City, and uh, you know she had some issues, and she needed to see the vet. And I didn't have her health history, which can get a little complex in her case. And the software engineer in me was like, "Why the heck don't I have this stuff online? It's mm-hmm. like this is stupid." And it was a frustrating 
thing to just deal with. Uh, it made me think to relate it to uh, more of the people health industry. That's also a problem. You don't have easy access, at least in the States, mm. to health history. Uh, and I knew that was a problem. It's something I had been thinking about. And so it kind of led to the beginnings of the development of uh, Well-Informed Pet, just the idea of having easy access to your pet's health information. And we extend that really to allow all your caretakers to have the same access to that information, which I think is one of the more powerful things about it, and that you can share that information with everybody. So everyone's on the same page when it comes to taking care of, uh, you know, of, your, of your pet. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I mean, we, we've we've touched on this this subject in the podcast before, sort of about the need to have the information to do with your pets sort of gathered together and and in one place. But as you say, there are issues around even getting that information or the information you need. But there's sure. lo- there's lots of times when it's necessary. So, for example, like in your case, you've you've gone on holiday, you need to see a different veterinarian. All of a sudden, they don't have the information they need, and as our dogs get older. Or, or, you know, I mean, your dog's, totally. young, your dog's younger and, and has, has a health condition. I mean, I've been quite lucky with Buddy. Now he's on sort of three medications. So his need has grown. Um, but, you know, any time your dog can, can need, you know, develop a condition and you need that information. For example, so you were on holiday with your dog. I've just had a situation where I had to go on holiday and um, and I'm going to I'm going to write and, and blog about this. So there will be <laughs> the more information about this will be available but we had to um find alternative holiday care for our for our dogs Um, normally my mum has them but um as i say i will i will let more information out about that but we had to find alternative care so buddy was going to someone who had not met him before they were lovely lovely people but they didn't know his particular history now i i wrote that down for them but it would have been so much easier if i could have just said access this app so i think it's a brilliant idea if your you know your app would have worked brilliantly for me then it's perfect for uh, yeah i mean when i look at it from the business perspective one of our early targets are people who travel with their dogs or leave their dogs behind when they travel so for pet sitters and things like that um we use uh even in the early stages of the app um when we when my wife and i have been away we do have someone we know well who does sit regularly with with, with house sit uh for kona but yeah, all our instructions uh, are are there. But even then, uh, he would like within the app, he'd have, um, you know, there's kind of a conversational uh, thing. We want to make it real time as well. But right now mm-hmm. it's just conversational. And I see, you know, if there's a note from him and I get an alert about it, it's like, uh, Kona showing some of his digestive symptoms again. Should I give him? Should I give her her meds? Uh, And I'm able to correspond quickly and reasonably. And it wasn't like an emergency emergency situation, so it didn't need that real time aspect in this case of uh, being bothered. And then you're capturing that information, so he's capturing some of that health history too. So when, if and when I needed to go to a vet, I have even more information for me. Or if someone else is taking care of. uh, uh, Kona, or if we drop her at uh, daycare or, or, or a trainer or whatever situation, uh, they have access to some of these notes and they can see some of the highlights if there is an, an issue or situation that goes on. So, And on a more social aspect, the pet sitter can also just add a video or a photo of the day while we were away. So we always had some sense of contact uh, you know, through, you know, through the sitter's communications. Uh, you know, there's some stuff I know, some tech out there that does some live webcam things like that. But this is a little bit more uh, personal and closed in and more conversational, so yeah. uh, a little more social. So it has a little bit of that as well. So you're always feeling in touch with, with, with your pet. Again, um, uh, I, you, know, you mentioned um, some aspects of you never know when you uh, – mm. 
leave your, you know, something happens to your pet or you're, yeah. you're not available to be with your pet was something uh, we talked about earlier before, you know, we, we started the, the podcast. Again, having that note gives that sense of security to you as the pet parent, just having that conversation like, ah, everything seems okay. Ah, you know, Kona seems happy. Hooray. Yeah. Those kinds yeah. of things are great. Yeah. That, I mean, that is so important because when you do leave your dog with someone, you do want that reassurance that they are okay. That, that is really, really good, really useful. And I mean, there's other there's other ways that you so you can be on holiday with your pet you you're, you can, you've gone on holiday you've left the pet but what if you know an emergency arises and all of a sudden and it can you know it, it can be something um trivial it can be something serious you're suddenly unexpectedly incapacitated how do you know the pet's okay but how do you pass that information on that's another situation isn't it right so um if you have uh Let's say something happens suddenly and there's no one around there. You at least have on the app, you will, if you know, you're using it right, you'll have some caretakers on there already who will have some of that information. So, uh, so you'll have people will have easy access and knowledge of it. Or even if you're incapacitated, you can add someone, you know, remotely yes. to the app as well. So you can always add that extra person. Uh, who can then get access to all of the health information. A good example of a use case uh, is that I've been talking to the Red Cross and uh, for, for like disaster situations in this case, uh, you know, one, of, one of the things I thought was interesting was that uh, during the hurricanes uh, that were in the States last year, there was talk on the news about how pets get separated from their pet parents yeah. and, uh, and the Red Cross or these shelter organizations would keep the pets and they'd one of the things that they said is it's great we're doing this, but we don't actually understand or have enough health information or just information about the pet, even basic profile information. So having the app available for all these organizations would be very helpful in the sense of, again, connecting. Even something uh, smaller scale than a hurricane, the Red Cross deals with people in fires every day. And people all do get separated from their pets for some period of time. Uh, and they want some connection, even if it's only for a day or two. Uh, or as you're saying, just something simpler, like uh, something happens, you go to an emergency room for the day yourself, or yeah. something happens where you're even later at work than expected, or you have to stay overnight unexpectedly, plane delays, whatever, uh, and you're separated from your pet unexpectedly, you know, you're going to try to do some contingency for feeding the pet or feeding mm -hmm. your dog or do, or whatever. But um, so, so the app will provide that connection. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. It is, it is, it is a communication vehicle. Uh, around your pet and a sharing social caretaking platform for your yes. pet. Yeah, I mean that's that's another point. It brings up your your app will highlight for people the need to have thought through what if I suddenly need a caretaker for my pet because you know you you assume human nature is you assume things are going to go on okay and you'll be fine, but now you've been pointed that you know the app's pointed out to you you need to address this issue and I think that's a really important issue that a lot of us shy away from but we need to think if something happens to me and it, as we said it doesn't have to be a big thing yeah. i need to have that caretaking in place don't we yeah right and you're right it, it does kind of force the issue in the sense that uh it's asking you to add your caretakers so just by uh, you know and it, it, and the very first thing it does is just put in the basic profile of your pet not a lot of information just to get you started but the basic you know upload a basic picture uh breed type of type of animal, you know, uh, and, uh, and basic information like that. And then you can add medical record information, um, and, and, and other relevant things, uh, you know, I have from my vet, you know, a PDF of, uh, the, that 
Coda's shots are up to date, so I have it digitized now, uh, unavailable wherever I go or whoever needs to see it. They'll say, ah, the shots are up to date. It's great. So that information is um, is always available. And who needs to care about your pet? You can add whomever you want, extended family, friends, and caretakers. And, uh, and the information you put in, you decide what to share and who to share it with. Yeah, yeah. That's really great. It sounds really well thought out. And obviously, you've come to, to this from the perfect background, being in sort of um, computers. I'm going to use that as, as a loose term, you know, being in technology yeah, sure. computers <laughs> and, yeah. and, and having a dog that you care about. You've come from it from exactly the right background, haven't you? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think like a software person most of the time. And it's interesting on the business side that I'm doing things that are not software related, just business related. Uh, you know, how do you get people to pay attention and look at these things as yes. a new, you know, I just like building, you know, it's like, ah, here's a problem. I'm going to try to solve it. And, uh, you know, and it's been interesting. We have a long way to go to make it do everything we want to do. But it does a lot of what we've talked about here. It's, it's doing those kinds of things already. Um, but thinking as a technologist, think about the future state of what this can do. If we tie it into more knowledge bases, you can uh, be more efficient about your interactions with a vet uh, because it can guide you when we have the knowledge of, I see that you've entered a lot of information about diet or you know, digestive issues or whatever it is, then the app can start looking and making some recommendations on maybe you need to look at this or this because of we're seeing a pattern here that you may not have seen. Mm -hmm. So it could eventually do some interesting things like that. And, uh, and, they, and another thing where we've been talking about is putting in more, uh, I know there's some technologies that do this, but at least integrate with more of these GPS like things that they have for pets. So you can integrate a lot of the daily activity data that's coming from the, yeah. these pet wearables or GPS type things. Mm -hmm. And you'll know, um, it'll know where things are as you're going on your walk. It can look at your community. So that isn't even a health issue. That's just a, yeah. you know, a, a fun community aspect of your, your dog. So we want this to be like a platform for every, you know, for all, you know, for that whole transparency around your dog and mm. let your community share that information. So that's a longer term vision, but the real mission, the overriding mission I always drive home is, uh, is that you as a pet parent are um, you have the right and the and should be empowered to really have access and own your pet's health and wellness information and be in charge of that. It's um, again on the medical side, it's kind of uh, a, a bigger thing that people talk about is that you have the you own your health data and in the states it's not easy to access or mm. get access to that. Mm. But there's a movement afoot to empower people with that information. So I kind of liken that. It's like should be the same thing on the pet side, and so I like to call this like the pet parent health revolution. It's like yeah. my term. I'm just starting to use it, but you know, <laughs> I want it to catch on. Yes. Cause yeah. that's really what we're talking about here is really, uh, you know, information is, is, is powerful, yes. but it can be, um, but you, you know, you as an individual have the right to information. And so mm. we're just trying to make that easier to, 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 to do that. Mm. Yeah. Cause I think, I mean, vets, and again, we, we've had conversations about this just, just before we started today. But, you know, sometimes it seems that vets are, do seem more inclined to share that information with you rather than sometimes it's, it seems so hard that you, to get information from a doctor because it's like, well, why do you need to know? 
I, I've got the information. You don't need to know. You know, it's like no. That one. happened just the other day with mm. like uh, you know, just uh, with my my mother-in-law. She had a small. She's fine, but she had a small accident. It was in the ER, and my wife was uh, asking, "Can I get a record of this?" And it's like you have to go to our records department Monday through Friday, nine to five. Mm. Uh, mm. But your doc, but your regular doctor will have access to that information. So then everything's okay. It's like well. <laughs> Can't we have a little bit of transparency yes. about what's going on in our lives? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Again, why, uh, why do you need to know? Yeah. yeah. Right, right. So um, you're right. On the veterinarian side, they tend to be more willing, but they are tied into their own medical systems mm. and record systems as well. Uh, you know, uh, the more sophisticated practices uh, and as happening more and more. And there's while there's fewer of those digital record systems, they still are around and wanting, you know, having them to communicate with each other to get better access to that information. Because if I go to, you know, if I move or I'm on vacation with my dog and I need to see a second vet, they can get that information just like they can with the medical side. The, the, the vets will communicate with that and hand you that. But it's not always the most straightforward activity. And no. uh, But you're right, though. Vets will more readily just give you uh, an electronic version of that. We do certainly want to. Uh, it's not an easy technical problem to automatically import medical information even from the veterinarian side because of those technical systems you have to have a relationship in figuring out yeah. that communication and then you know on the business side you have to build that partnership on the technical side you have to build it so that they can talk to each other so it's certainly feasible it just takes time to do that but while that's going on you can get an electronic version for most veterinarians or if it's a paper version which exists uh, with smaller veterinarian practices especially yeah you can take a photo and or import and scan the document in you know you can take that extra step to digitize it uh and we, we will continue to strive to make that easier because we really want to make this as simple and seamless as possible for yeah. people so they don't have to think about what information they're importing mm-hmm. uh but on the other hand, at the early stages of this product, if you're thinking about it, then you're paying attention to the information yes. and the data. So there's a plus side yeah. to that little extra <laughs> step of effort that people have to think about. And then you realize how much is going on with your pet that you may not have realized. Mm, absolutely. The other, thing I'll, the, other, the other thing I'll add to that is we don't live by veterinarian health information alone. Um, more so, I would argue, though I'm not an expert in that, more so than like on the, on the people health side. We do a lot of home remedies. We do, I think, a lot more checking online when it comes to taking care of your pet Mm. than going straight to the vet. So there's a lot of information you are doing relating diet, you change their food diet, uh, there's behavioral things you may want to note with a pet more so than, than than a person usually, especially early on with a puppy when you often go to puppy training and do those kinds of things. So there's a lot more information that's not being captured by the veterinarian medical record that is useful to keep track of uh, within the app. Uh, and again, the more we can do it automatically, the better. But there's some notes that are just not going to be uh, as obvious, uh, you know, uh, if your dog suddenly like Kona, oh, she's gotten older. Um, she's great and social, but she's less social with dogs as she's gotten older. That's not an uncommon thing. Uh, and when she's unleashed when we're walking, she'll sniff and do things with other dogs. But then she'll suddenly growl, not in a na- not in a horrible, horrible mm. way, but there's mm. a little bit more. It's a very different interaction than sh- when she was a puppy, when she'd act a little timid as a smaller dog and then jump around and be playful. She's uh, a little bit more like sniffing. What do I think of this dog? I don't know why she growls at different, you know, I, I you know, different dogs I could do within the app. I can probably find patterns if I uh, mm. really want to. But um, 
but you know, the, my, my point is just behaviors change and there are some certain things you may want to have a little note of, and then you have a history of it and can search and we can, you know, we can find the most common patterns and things that are going on with your dog. Yeah. Definitely. You know, another thing that strikes me as we're, we're talking, I don't know if anybody's doing this in the States, but in Britain, we have the Animal Health Trust and they are trying to gather as much data as they can about the way cancers are treated so, nah. that, mm, so that they can then um, look at the treatment that's given and the outcome that has and what's the best way. And we're getting down to the level now of for different kinds of cancers, you know, what was the best kind of treatment mm -hmm. for each kind of cancer. And this app, th that really could help gather that kind of data, you know, again, with the consent of the people, but it really could help sure. give it the big no, picture. You, you, <laughs> my wife would love that you just said that, by the mm -hmm. way, because one of the things she's always talking to me about, and uh, I like it, I just think we're small, what do we spend our time on uh, as a small company, but uh, I am actually looking into this more. The idea of like uh, just clinical studies, and mm -hmm. that this is like a large scale one is what you're talking about, and all of the cohorts involved with these animal studies uh, would be basically a group within the app and can have that information yeah. shared and communicated and the people doing the trials, the doc, the, the veterinarians or the vet assistants or the researchers would have that information and then they'd get probably even more insights and more things they can use from this. So uh, I am talking early on with some of these things to, because I think that's a, a very, very good idea to, to use this. My wife, she has a background in um, public health and epidemiology and is very big into like data science, data research when it comes to health activities. So mm. she sees a lot of merit um, for the pet side to do that. So she's actually starting to reach out to some veterinarian clinics and I'm in talks with some people because I think right. we can run, we can use this app on some pilots and then expand it to like bigger programs like the one you just mentioned yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in, in the UK. So that is a, a very excellent point, which uh, not too many people outside of my immediate circle brought up, but you just did. And <laughs> well, great. great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's, that's important because, again, we shy away from thinking, but what if my dog gets cancer? I don't want to think about that. And yet the best way to do that is to, to confront it, to think about it, to know the science to look for, to know sure. how you can help you know, things, you know, people like the AHT to gather so, that information. Then you're, you're armed then. The stats on, you know, dogs and cats, uh, increase of cancer is just uh, astronomical. Uh, obese dogs and cats also is astronomical, the rise in the rate of these things. I think part of it is that they live old, you know, um, pet, pets are living longer yes. because of better health care overall. I, I think there's a correlation there. Uh, so uh, as a pet gets older, their health issues get more complex and the awareness of what potential signs are i mentioned like plugging into some knowledge base so you can get some signs to be aware of to take better care of your your your, your dog is, mm -hmm. is it's very valid so uh so yes you they people shy away from that but just like they kind of do for their own health a little yes, bit i actually yeah. think they pay a little more attention to their pets than they do their own health so i think uh there's benefit in my my tool being used more in a way because uh, since pets can't take care of themselves, you know, you, that's one of the reasons we have them is that we want to give, you know, they give so much, but you also give to, to your pet in, 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 in you know, in return. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so I think what you're, you're saying about like being aware of like, uh, that things do happen, uh, it, it may not be completely on people's mind enough, but it does as they see, you know, as you see your dog get older. Mm, yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I do. I love the idea of the app, though. I was just thinking as well, sometimes things are screamingly obvious once you've thought of them. So, for example, at one point we, we took our daughter out of when, she, when Jenny was um, about eight, nine. We took her out of school and we home educated for, for quite a long while. And so I hadn't thought. But what I would normally do is go to pick Jenny up at school, park at three o'clock, walk Buddy around the block, you know, as part of his routine mm-hmm. and, right. and, and go home. And that would be that. And when we when we came out of school, we started walking more in the mornings and we'd go for a longer walk and, we, and whatever, but in the mornings. So Buddy started occasionally messing at night and he would soil himself at night. Yeah. And and I couldn't think why. And I went to the vet and she said, has there been any change in routine? No, no. And I could not think. And right. it wasn't until I really looked back and thought, do you know what, you idiot, you have changed quite a bit. But if we had your app to look at, I could have gone, do you know what, I'm walking him at a completely different time of day. Yes, there has been a big change. And it would have been obvious, wouldn't it? Yes, totally, totally. I mean, uh, and again, I think, uh, if, you know, I, I really love to make that more automatic so you don't even think about it and it just is in the app. That's where, yes. you know, on the yeah. technical side, we'll integrate more. But for now, you know, we, uh, you know, we haven't been out that long as a product. But you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, a little bit similar but different with, um, with Kona's case. I mentioned she has these health digestive issues. So mm-hmm. I was tracking, you know, I was tracking her poop <laughs> on a regular <laughs> basis when you see mm-hmm. these patterns going on. And I know, and it actually will be so useful. We will have like you know cute icons for a poop tracker in our app eventually because <laughs> I think uh, it's one of the it's one of the things we we pay attention to. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, so you know, when she has a down spell, I, I I track that stuff. But it goes, you know, it comes in waves with the kind of uh, condition she has that it's good then bad, then good then bad. So I track that, and I'm not going to remember that history. But mm-hmm. I was very diligent in tracking that stuff when it was really bad. And then I said, oh, it's getting good again. Oh no, it got bad. <laughs> and we eventually decided it's gotten a little worse. We're going to go to the vet, and she was on some meds uh, already. Uh, but I showed it to the vet, and I said, here, I have like three months of capturing her day to day. And she looked at it quickly, and she could just see oh, you know, she's doing it so often. Let's just up the meds more. Uh, She wasn't going to do that, but she did that. And it helped Kona a lot. Upping the meds a little bit helped a lot. And it's not something I would have, you know, I would have just said, yeah, it's been up and down. And I don't know Mm. over the last few weeks. So it's one of those, it was a relatively small thing that helped a lot. And so uh, it's it's not a routine like you're saying, because that's so true. (laughs) If we ever... uh, you know, if we ever change, you know, Kona's habits of when she goes in the morning or night, yeah, that would be totally, I can see that happening here too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think it, it's absolutely brilliant. I really, really love it. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet about the app that you want to say? I think uh, that emphasis on sharing is, is, is important, you know, and, and the ability for people like, uh, you know, I don't use the dog trainer we have now. She's a noted dog trainer in New York City and is an advisor on our product. But she's using it for her training to take notes. And she sometimes has homework for her clients. Mm-hmm. And she can be aware of what's going on. And the, the people can you know, use it to take notes on um, how they went with doing the homework assignment more easily. Because sometimes yeah. people don't remember when they're, when they're at their training for that. And the other thing is she, she does a lot of one-on-one training with some uh, – problematic dogs uh you know behaviorally Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. she's alone with them and they will sometimes have a health issue it doesn't happen all the time so her having access to that information it's similar to what we talked about with a pet sitter or something like that but she would bring the dog into the vet near her occasionally uh, because she had to so there's some benefits there 
we have uh, you know the, the the mobile versions and the web version. Right now, the web version, because that's what we finished first, has uh, a lot of stuff where you can set up appointments and calendaring type reminders, and uh, we do reminders for medication and things like that. So, um, so so there's some additional things we have uh, additional useful features. So when you put in your meds and we say yeah you take it uh, one time you know one time a day or something it can remind you is it time to refill your meds. Mm-hmm. Uh, we track things like that a little bit because that uh, and we'll get more sophisticated about that uh, I think sooner than later. And uh, I think the other main thing I'd say is we are an early product, so feedback is critical and essential. Uh, on the technical side, I'm about to go through like a user review. We're going to have people who really specialize in like usability who are going to review the product in depth. But really, the best feedback comes from the people using it. Yes. And there's yeah. a lot of like uh, you know how uh, how I spend my you know my startup uh, dollars uh, for development really is based on prioritizing feedback I get. So I want to make sure I'm doing this right because, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's so many different choices we can make into what we pursue next. Mm-hmm. So anyone who does look at the app, all the contact information is on the website and on the app. It's very easy to get in touch with me directly uh, for, for any of that stuff. So I'd love people to give me their thoughts and their feedback. You know, I have a long list of thing of to-dos that I know I want to do, but I want to hear from people out there to, to, to help guide this correctly. And another, the last thing I'll say uh, that's, that's on my mind, because when I think about who we really want to use this early on, we're working with rescues uh, a lot. And so if anyone is associated with a rescue, uh, because the rescues, especially smaller rescues, keep in track of health information on paper often. The bigger ones will have more sophisticated or Excel spreadsheets. Mm. Uh, but what I'd like is at least the basic health information can, can be captured and all the volunteers at that rescue can basically share. And so they have the same notes when they're taking yeah. care of uh, yeah. the rescue. And then the cool thing is we do have with one push of a button when someone adopts a new uh, uh, a new pet, it will transfer any of that medical information, that, that, that data to the new owner. Uh, so they have it digitized right out of the gate. So they're not doing all of that health work that the rescue has already done. And uh, the rescue can stay connected if the own, new owner wants it, which I think a lot of mm-hmm. adopt, you know, say, hey, yeah, I'd love for you to keep track of what's going on with, uh, you know, with our new. I'd, I'd, I'd love our rescue to have kept up with what's going on with Kona because it's a good story. Yeah. I think a lot of people may think that. So it's a way for rescues to stay connected with uh, with pets, which some rescues like really want to know about the success of the uh, the animals leaving their shelters, so there's there's a whole number of things that we're trying to do as well with with the shelter community. Uh, certainly in New York for us, since we're local here. But if anyone has thoughts on using that, it's, it's, I think it's a good avenue. And I'm sure a lot of people who listen to you um, do volunteer or work at rescues mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah, I really think it's a fantastic product and the best of luck with it, Lowell. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Clearly, an app inspired by the desire to gather Lowell's dog's health info has the potential to help a lot of people and dogs in many ways. You can find out more at wellinformedpet.com. And we have the links at dogcastradio.com to Lowell's blog and social media channels, as well as some photos of the very cute Kona, Lowell's dog. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Chihuahua puppies are born with a soft spot on their skull, just like baby humans.
And now it's the Dogcast Radio News. We're given lots of warnings about how we should and shouldn't buy a puppy, like... Do make sure you buy from a reputable breeder. Don't buy from a pet shop. Make sure you see the puppy's parents, at least the mother. Make sure you buy the right species. Hang on. That last one's not a regular warning, is it? It's not, but perhaps it should be, because when a woman in China bought and took home what she thought was a Japanese Spitz puppy, it turned out to be a fox. The woman, known only as Ms Wang, did buy the animal from a pet shop, so she didn't follow all the advice, but nonetheless, she thought she had a dog, and when the dog reached three months, it rejected the dog food it had been eating. Its tail grew longer than the average dog's, its fur became thicker, and its face began to grow very pointy. What it didn't do was bark. When Ms Wang walked her pet at a park, dogs they encountered seemed to be afraid of it, and people commented that it looked very fox-like. Worried, she consulted a local zoo, where it's confirmed that the dog was definitely a fox. The fox now lives at the zoo, where it can enjoy a species-appropriate diet and environment, and Ms Wang can visit her one-time dog whenever she feels lonely or sad about him. That story makes me feel sad. How on earth did a fox end up in a pet shop? Why did the pet shop owner try to pass him off as a dog? Worrying. And talking of worrying, pupils at Radcliffe School in Manchester, UK, have a therapy dog of their own to spend time with when they're feeling worried or sad. Four-year-old chocolate Labrador, George, will be helping the children feel happier and more relaxed, and as well as being in the playground at play and dinner times, George will be available for pupils to visit in the head teacher's office during the day. George belongs to assistant head Rebecca Kenyon, and has been her family's pet since he was a puppy. The school is hoping that George will inspire children to be more active, for example taking him for a walk, as well as encouraging them to enjoy being responsible for him and improving their emotional well-being. I would imagine he'll be a morale booster for the staff too. Definitely in these times of sats and stress. One dog owner in Felixstowe, UK, was left stressed when her assistant's dog, Holly, was banned from her GP surgery. Holly helps Elaine Arnold cope with post-traumatic stress disorder, but was banned from the surgery for bad behaviour. It happened like this. Elaine has to attend the surgery fortnightly, and recently a lady approached Elaine and Holly, asking if she could pet the dog, a request Elaine denied on the grounds that Holly is a working dog. The woman continued to reach towards her, causing Holly to bark. Elaine claims Holly was picking up on her reaction to the situation, having been trained to bark to alert Elaine when something isn't right, but the surgery claimed Holly was being threatening. There are a number of difficult issues here, like the status of assistance dogs and the fact that Elaine Arnold does have a letter from her previous doctor to the effect that Holly helps her emotionally, so in the States she would be an accredited support dog. But what does that amount to in the UK? It's hugely important in order for assistance dogs to retain their privileged position of being granted access to public areas, their training and behaviour meets certain standards. Then you've got the issue of not approaching working dogs when they're working. And that is a wider issue, because we're awful as human beings for going, I want to meet that dog, and not considering whether the dog wants to meet us. And don't get me started on signs that say no dogs except guide dogs, when they should say no dogs except assistance dogs. Let's just allow all dogs everywhere. And according to a new survey from Australia, that would please dog owners, because we're becoming more indulgent with our dogs. The survey by pet-sitting network Madpaws revealed that 60% of Australian dogs have their own social media account, some of them with tens of thousands of followers. 50% have been given organic meals, and 20% have been bought trendy fashion accessories. Further details include the fact that almost half of Australian owners have given their dog their own bedroom. 20% have had professional photos taken, and over 70% get expensive gifts on their birthday an occasion when over a quarter of dogs have had a party. 20% of dogs have gone on relaxing breaks with their owners, and nearly half have done yoga with them. 
with many dogs having benefited from a pet healer, a fortune teller, or a holistic treatment of some kind. 60% of owners spend at least 150 Australian dollars, that's 113 US dollars and 83 pounds, a month on fancy toys, foods and accessories. Food could account for a lot of that, depending on the size of the dog, but I do wonder how much of the other stuff actually makes a difference to the dog. I know! Buddy was tweeting about it just the other day. Yes, Mischief did an Instagram post on the subject. We go now to Brazil to a dog owner who took action, which did make a difference to her dog. First Lady Marcela Temer shares two dogs with her husband, Brazil's President Michael Temer. Piccoli, a Jack Russell, and Thor, a Golden Retriever. While walking in her garden, Marcela discovered Piccoli in trouble in the garden lake. Obviously not your average garden to have a lake in it, but that's the perk of being the First Lady. Another indication that this was not your average garden is that there was a security guard present. However, he refused to go to poor Piccoli's aid. So Marcella threw herself into the lake fully clothed and rescued her dog. Piccoli is fine, Marcella is fine, and the security guard, well, he was fired for not rescuing the first dog. You have to wonder if that actually comes under his job description. He should have helped Piccoli. Oh, he should. But is it really a firing offence? Now, our final story focuses on something we love here at Dogcast Radio. Research! <laughs> yes, research. Scientists have identified 59 genes linked to canine athleticism, which apparently affect everything from heart rate to muscle strength. Alexander Godfrey, a genomicist, yes, that's a word, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Whitehead Institute in Cambridge, points out that across the range of dog breeds, various traits have been selected for. Apparently, this makes dog genomics, yes, that's a word too, a pretty unique and powerful system for studying how genes cause characteristics. Previous studies had identified genes for simple traits, such as hair type or friendliness. But there is now a global database covering the genome of approximately 450 dog breeds, as well as wolves, foxes and jackals. By comparing athletic dogs, such as pointers, setters and retrievers, with terriers, it has become clear that there are 59 genes which are more common in sporty breeds. These genes control, amongst other things, blood flow, heart rate, muscle strength, and even pain perception. Intriguingly, there even seems to be a gene which makes a dog more likely to remain calm after hearing a gunshot. I don't think I've got many of those athletic genes. That's funny. Neither have I. Well, you're my mum. Oh, yeah. Luckily, I inherited my intelligence from Dad. <laughs> That's it. Till next time. You know that a male canine is referred to as a dog, while a female is called a bitch. But did you know that the father of a litter of puppies is called the sire, and the mother is called the dam? If you live with a dog, you live with dog fur. Some shed more than others, and it can be a challenge to clean up all that shed hair. But of course, those who don't shed much often present a different challenge, that of grooming. Finding a good, reliable groomer who suits you and your dog can be a challenge too. But my next guest is going to explain it all as we go behind the scenes at the dog groomers, getting to grips with what we as owners need to know about grooming, debunking myths and juggling hot potatoes as we go. Today I'm talking to Amy Elliott-Smith. Hi, Amy. Hello. Hi. And we're going to talk about a really important subject and one that sometimes can get overlooked, which is grooming. Let's start with something because some people will be going, oh, my dog doesn't need grooming. Do all dogs need grooming? Can they all benefit from it? 
Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, dogs, of course, you have the, the dogs, so double coated dogs like German Shepherds, or you get the curly coated dogs like Poodles. So they need quite a lot of extensive grooming. Mm. But you also get the dogs who have smooth hair or even no hair. So you can have a Chinese Crested or you can have a, a miniature Dachshund, but they will all need some level of coat maintenance. So whether it's just a bath or they'll all need their nails doing or their ears cleaning, they all re- will require some level of grooming yeah 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 and actually like you said with the a labrador i've got a labrador and he doesn't really need that much coat maintenance you know it, 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 he sheds a lot it, and we do brush him occasionally but when i have been sort of grooming him occasionally i've, I've felt a little lump or bump and gone oh what's that and it is a good idea to get into that habit even if you've got the, the shortest or no head you know shortest coated or no coated dog it's a good idea to just be in touch with your dog's skin and and the way they are isn't it yeah absolutely i mean as dogs get older they can get a lot of lumps and bumps and warts and skin tags and all the rest of it but as you know as with our bodies you need to make sure that you know kind of what's going on with them and if there there are any concerns or um you know any lesions that aren't healing for whatever reason make sure that you go to the vet and get that checked out and also it's a good idea to check your dog's skin regularly for parasites or any kind of um, maybe ticks or flea infestations um, and to do any kind of spot-on treatment that would be appropriate to 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 treat that yeah yeah so absolutely so so they all need some some grooming but yeah what are what are the breeds that sort of really are high maintenance on, on the grooming front um, on the grooming front, well, there are two types of high maintenance. I'd say the first type of high maintenance is the very kind of intricate, detailed cuts. So you get poodles that have high maintenance fur because they don't have an undercoat. So they have a very, very thick top coat that can mat very, very quickly. And when it does, it mats to the skin and you have to shave it off pretty much because it would be too painful for them to to be dematted and it would yeah. just take hours and hours. But the cut itself is quite intricate. It's very, um, it's very sort of a, a, quite a formal cut and it takes quite a lot of skill to get that cut mm. looking good and in proportion. So that's the first kind of sort of high maintenance coat. The second type I would say is a double coated dog because even though you they don't have any specific styling um to them they do have a lot of fur because they're double coated so we're talking about um, huskies samoids german shepherds they're these very very thick coated dogs but the reason they're high maintenance is because they shed so much so their coat requires a certain um type of tool so it will need something like a furminator or an undercoat rake and it will need probably weekly or bi-weekly even de-shedding of that coat to ensure that uh, firstly the dog is an itchy because the hair will die in the follicle and it'll be very itchy for them but mm-hmm. secondly also to make sure you don't have you know a second carpet in your home yes. um, and you don't break your hoover <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and another thing there's, there's a lot of debate around sort of the, the, the grooming area because for example with with things i'm going to pick on a breed just out, out of the blue because i know someone who's got one but a schnauzer so mm-hmm. they were sort of told oh you can um and i'm going to forget the word here but um when you sort of pull the dead hair out i can't remember and the strip. word Yes, that, thank you very much. See, that's, that's why I have the professional alarm, because I forget the words and you know them all. <laughs> that's brilliant. So you can answer. Yeah. Or, um, you know, as she was told, oh, you, or you can just sort of um, clip. So mm-hmm. what's... Now, because we've disagreed about that, so what would you say on that one? Or is it just personal preference? 
Well, there are dogs that are always hand-stripped. Well, always hand-stripped, but they can always be hand-stripped. For example, a Border Terrier or an Airedale or a Welsh Terrier. They have a very, very thick, wiry top coat. Now, not all dogs have that. And there is a certain amount of debate in the industry between show grooming and pet grooming. So, for example, those two breeds that you've said are the two breeds that are the hot topic. They're the hot potato of the hand-stripping debate. So I tend not to strip spaniels so cocker spaniels um, and i'm putting air quotations in here are traditionally hand stripped Mm. but i feel like the hair on a cocker spaniel nine times out of ten will be too too thin Mm. um, and it's quite soft so you can hand strip some of it around the neck usually if it's quite thick and sometimes it can feel a little bit wiry you can strip away that and it won't cause any discomfort to the dog at all same with the schnauzer but if the fur is very very soft and you start pulling away at that top coat when it's not appropriate you know it's not an appropriate grooming method because the hair is very soft then you're going to start hurting the dog now there is debate about hand stripping with people that don't really understand it because they think that hand stripping in general for every dog is painful whereas that is absolutely not the case whatsoever you know it's just not the case at all if you do have a very thick wiry coat uh, coated dog as i say like an airedale you can pull away at that top coat and the dog will hardly even feel it and if they do feel it it will feel like a lovely massage because you're getting rid of all that itchy dead hair in the follicle so it will feel really nice and it will look really lovely afterwards but as you say with a schnauzer or with a cocker spaniel it really is on a dog by dog basis groom has to get the dog in assess the coat thoroughly the dog has to be the right age the coat has to be what we call blown which means it's ready to be pulled out um and most of the time the coats the way that dogs are being bred at the moment the coats are quite soft so a groomer will make the sort of um, decision that the coat probably isn't suitable to be stripped and they will therefore clip it similarly if you have a dog who has a very wiry coat and the groomer starts clipping it and they've clipped it a few times it probably will soften and it won't be suitable for stripping so even if you have a dog that starts off with, with a very thick wiry coat if it is clipped over time it probably won't be suitable to be hand stripped so it's on a dog by dog basis really yeah yeah that's really interesting that it's sort of so individual as that that's mm, absolutely yeah and i'm sure it's down to the breeding because you know back in the day when you only had a, a certain amount of breeding dogs and the stock was you know you'd meet dogs that were bred from from two you know one dog one breeding one stud and you'd go oh is this so-and-so's pup <laughs> you know but now there's so much breeding going on and breeding is kind of being done um, you know, as a hobby almost, yes, whereas yes. In, the, in the past it was done as a job. So the dogs that you got through Cocker Spaniels, for example, they used to have really thick hair and you could hand strip them quite easily. But the sort of average Cocker Spaniel you get now, you don't know the lineage, so the, 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 the coat isn't usually as thick as it was. I, I don't know really what's happening, but it's, you know, it's okay. It's They're still lovely dogs. Oh, yes, absolutely. But you you just need to know how to meet their needs, Uh, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And it is quite, I mean, it's a very specialised thing, actually, hand stripping. Because, as I say, it's not just the type of coat. Because you can get exactly the right type of coat, but it might not be blown, which means it might not be ready to be pulled out. So you can be pulling at this coat and thinking, oh, this isn't really working. Why isn't this working? This dog is clearly not suitable to be hand stripped. But actually it is. It's just the wrong time of year to be doing it. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Now, you've talked there about the breeding and sort of the coats changing over time. And the the one breed or mix, however you want to say, that we're seeing lots and lots and lots of are, you know, 
doodles, poodle crossings. Yes, I knew you were going to say yes. yes. Cockapoos, cockapoos, yeah, yes. doodles. Yeah, mm-hmm. and again, they can be lovely, lovely, lovely dogs, yeah. and they can be really, really lively dogs that can be a nightmare mm-hmm. in the wrong hands. So, yes. but you know, as with the nature of the dog, just with the coat of the dog, the the owner has got to understand the potential commitment or potential problem they're taking on with that poodle coat would you would you agree with that and do you see many of those problems all the time yeah yeah that is probably at at the moment in the last couple of years that's probably been the most common problem is that people are using the wrong brushes so it's not that they're not brushing the dog it's that they're using the wrong brush so they'll be using a, a, a pin brush which is like a it's got lots of little metal spikes but they have like a plastic coating tip like a pin at the top yeah and that's not appropriate for that kind of coat they need a pin slicker brush so you know but of course how would they know that they they wouldn't know that Mm. so um they're getting we're getting a lot of dogs in that have a very lovely flowing well brushed top coat but their undercoat is matted to the skin so we're having to shave them off and then of course that looks bad on the groomer it looks like we don't know what we're doing or we're fobbing them off um but actually if you do get a dog like a a cavapuro labradoodle whatever just make sure that you're using the right brushes and any dog groomer worth their salt would be more than happy to advise the brushes that you need to use and a dog you know get a dog in into the grooming salon as early as possible all the all the groomer will do with a very young dog like that is just put them on the table get them used to being handled get them used to being brushed they probably won't look much different when they come out but it's quite important just to make sure that the dog is used to being handled um, and that as an owner you're touching their feet you know inside their pads you're touching their tail and their bellies just making sure that they're really used to being touched in the areas that will mat around the face and inside those pads is really important important yeah yeah yeah. brilliant advice yeah absolutely because otherwise it comes to as a big shock to the dog like what on earth are you doing yeah exactly and i mean you know no it's not a a natural instinct to stroke the dog's tail you you wouldn't necessarily think to you know go inside the pads and but actually as a groomer we have to open the pads and get in with the clippers or the scissors to make sure there isn't any deep matting inside those pads and if the dog's not used to it like you say they're going to be like what are you doing get off me this is ticklish i don't like it but if they're used to that that feeling it won't bother them it won't phase them and that's that's ideal because it makes the groom much easier for everyone yeah yeah i mean i think another point i would make about that the sort of the the people getting a a poodle cross if you're buying from a reputable breeder and i'm not against breeding at all but Mm -hmm. if you're buying from a reputable breeder they will be able to help you get on the right road you know and give you that advice at the start you know about the the brushes and going the need to go to it to a groomer but again if you're buying from someone who's just gone oh i've got a poodle i'll make some money you know they're not going to have that knowledge are they no absolutely not and a good as you say a good reputable breeder will know of groomers if they are buying in the local area they will have probably a a close association with a grooming salon or they will groom the dogs themselves so they will be able to give loads of grooming advice on what brushes to use what scissors are good you know how to go ahead and and do what's best for the dog as as far as their coat is concerned yeah yeah another um, hobby horse of mine is you, you hear this and see this in adverts hypoallergenic dogs (laughs) and it just 
my hackles go up, you know, just like a dog's <laughs> hackles. I'm like, oh, no. So let's talk about that one, Amy. What, what, <laughs> please You're bringing up all the hot potatoes of <laughs> the grooming world. <laughs> well, that's what I like to do. Let's stir it up. <laughs> so, yeah. Amy, tell me, what is a hypoallergenic dog? <laughs> okay, well... Oh, gosh, where do we start? Okay, so hypoallergenic dogs, again, in air quotes. Mm. So depending on the severity of your allergy, a hypoallergenic dog is usually a dog that doesn't shed. Now, there are already dogs out there before the Labradoodles and all the rest of them came along. There were already dogs like this that existed. So terriers, for example, that need hand stripping, they very rarely shed. Bichons and poodles that have a single coat, they very rarely shed. So technically, in the olden days, they were <laughs> hypoallergenic dogs. Now, the problem arises that if you have a severe allergy or you're very sensitive to animals, the allergy that you're suffering is actually from the proteins that are coming from the dog's dander, which is like the dandruff that comes off them, and their saliva. So it doesn't matter what the fur is on their body, your allergy is coming from the dog itself. Mm -hmm. And there is no dog in the world that doesn't produce dander or saliva. Yeah. So yeah. there is technically no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog. Yeah. But thank you. <laughs> there, well, there are certainly things that you can do yes. if you do have an allergy to dogs. So I do know people that have reactions to certain types of dogs, but they don't to others. Now the difference there is that they are, you know, they're changing their bedding regularly. They don't have carpets. They have wooden floors, or they hoover very regularly. The dog itself isn't a very kind of dribbly dog or um you know a very itchy dog so there isn't all this protein in the air that they're going to have an allergy an allergic reaction to so actually there are things that you can do to lessen the allergy of any dog but usually it's very very rare that you are going to just suddenly be cured of your allergy to dogs by getting one of these hypoallergenic dogs yeah. you can have any dog with an allergy but really you know if you have an allergy you know what works for you if you're around a certain dog all i would say though because the difficult thing is if you do have an allergy and it's severe really don't just don't get a dog it's very very sad and it's you know it's awful that you can't have a dog but if you have an allergy obviously that has to come first Mm. But if you do have a very, you know, mild allergy, then just go and meet breeders, go and sit with the dogs. Obviously, don't just purchase a dog because yes. you want a dog. You need to meet the dog that you will potentially be having to make sure that your allergy isn't set off by that breed or by that particular dog. Because breed by yes. breed, they can be dribbly or, you know, whatever. So you want a, you know, a closed-lipped <laughs> breed. So not a, not an overhanging lip breed so you know try and stay away from the hounds maybe yeah um and try and stay away from the double coated dogs because as i say they shed a lot and that protein is going to be in that uh, in that fur yeah yeah i mean the other thing it, it, it is a, a minefield the other thing i've heard is that puppies and kittens indeed give off fewer allergens than adult animals so there's the thing you could get a puppy and think oh i'm fine here and then as it grows up it yeah. starts to shed more and you think, oh, yeah. I'm getting allergic now. So it's, it's a very difficult area. It's not, it it's not insult, you know, unsolvable, but it is, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's easier if you're a bit OCD. So if you like cleaning and you're always putting their bedding in the wash and the dog's always being washed, but then that's not necessarily particularly good for the dog if mm. it's always being washed because the, the dog needs its natural oils and if you are washing it for the sake of your allergy, then that's not going to be the best thing for, 
for the dog itself yeah, so yeah. you're right it's it's such a tricky area and i mean i'm allergic to cats mm. and i am allergic to sharpays but no other dog mm. and i don't know why i think it's something to do with their, the, the fur i think it's the skin um the protein in the skin that, that gets me yeah. um but that's the only dog i've ever had a reaction to wow. um yeah really strange but but surprising we don't get many sharpays i've only only really groomed two in my whole career actually thinking about it so yeah i mean it is it's such a minefield and it it is a real shame there are people that have allergies and they just can't have the dogs but you know it's better it's better to not have the dog than to get the dog and then have to give the dog away because then that messes with the dog's you know mental health if you like it's not going to be great great for the dog there no and there are other ways to, to you know if you can't have your own dog there are other ways to sort of get that doggy fix so oh yeah uh, yeah yeah but uh, yeah. volunteer positions absolutely loads of you know walking dogs for the rspca and um animal the animal trust and uh, sorry the dogs trust they're always yeah. looking for volunteers to walk the dogs so yeah yeah lots of ways to to get involved yeah excellent excellent okay so now let's talk about sort of what what's a dog's experience usually when they arrive at you know at your salon or at a salon you know mm-hmm. what what sort of what can we expect when we when we take them in what what you know i'm thinking about what are, what are they housing um what processes are done to them you know what so what happens what's their experience okay well it depends where the person is grooming from so for example i used to start i started off in my garage at home Mm. and we now have um a large um salon where the dogs are taken into and you know it's it's quite big and loud because we've got daycare as well so if i talk about um i'll talk about the home salon because that's probably the more common type so the dogs will come in and they will probably meet other dogs while they're in the grooming salon. Now, if that's not suitable for your dog, then the groomer needs to know that beforehand because generally dogs will mix in a salon together. Yeah. Some dogs will be caged, so they'll be put in a in a crate, which I always think sounds awful, but actually a lot of dogs find it quite comforting yep, because absolutely. I always think of it as if you... Uh, were locked in the Albert Hall overnight you wouldn't sleep on the stage you'd sleep you know somewhere enclosed like in a side room or between the seats you wouldn't lie out in front and it's that kind of feeling you know the dogs like to be enclosed and they like that sort of closeness so um, some groomers will crate the the dogs other groomers if they don't have many dogs in at once will just let the dogs kind of wander around find their own place they might have a dog uh, a dog bed or a towel or something for them to get comfy on Um, or they might go straight on the table now the first thing the dog will think when it goes on the table is oh my god i'm at the vet because there are only two people that put them on the table and that's a groomer and a vet so initially if a dog isn't used to the process or they're quite young they might think oh no i don't like this and they might start panicking a little bit which is where we come in you know the skills of calming them down and you know just trying to reassure them and they will be restrained on the table, which, again, restrained sounds like an awful word. But and again, another word, we will put a noose on them. <laughs> These words <laughs> sound awful. Um, but actually, you know, good groomers will monitor the dog all the way through the process. When a dog is in the noose, I will also put my hand under their chin. Yeah. And quite often they will just sort of relax onto my chin, oh, um, yeah. uh, onto my chin, onto my <laughs> hand. <Yes. laughs> um, and I will just kind of groom around them. So it really it's different. It's 
it's different behavior requires different care um, and you just have to be really intuitive to the dog most of the time you know the dog really well you've groomed the dog for years um, and you you know what the sort of what their confidence levels are some not every dog is perfectly happy with everything um, you'll get some dogs that are brilliant on the table they don't mind the scissoring they don't mind the pads being touched but they hate the dryer for example mm-hmm. um or vice versa so you, you get you get all types of dogs um and you never really know what you're going to get until you finish the groom <laughs> um and so yeah i mean obviously we ask the client what they want we have to be really realistic with the clients with the dog if the dog comes in and it's matted to the skin and they say i want a lamb trim or a teddy bear trim we have to just say we can't do that this time you know but come back in six weeks when the mats are starting to form again um we'll have to shave them off this time and then we can start again in six weeks and then you can have whatever style you want as long as you come regularly enough um yeah so the dogs are um assessed we check their skin we make sure they don't have any allergies so we make sure that we use the right shampoo on them and i mean we've always been quite a relaxed atmosphere in our salon i mean can be fraught sometimes but most of the time it's a quite relaxed atmosphere we have the radio on so we have something like classic fm on not really loud um you know out of control musical (laughs) screeching from the djs or anything like that we just keep it as quiet as we can as calm as we can we keep our stress levels down we keep our voices very soft i'll sometimes sing to them (laughs) um and yeah when the groom is finished they can go back down on the floor might let them out for a wee and call the owner and that's it home time so it should it should go quite smoothly the average groom for a dog is about two hours takes about two hours yeah, roughly yeah. and obviously the price varies yeah um, and, and it should be a nice sort of it sounds like it should be a nice pampering relaxing time for them it should be yeah i mean yeah. it isn't all the time obviously because you get dogs for example you get rescue dogs and you don't know their history and mm. the owners don't know the history either so they, they try their best to prepare you for what you're going to get but you know our aim absolutely is to make the put the dogs at ease because it's good for them but it's good for us as well yes. you know if the dog is relaxed then the groom is is quick and it's you know it's 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 easy and it's just better for everybody involved including the dog so yeah we absolutely aim to to keep them as as calm and as comfortable as possible and i i've always been a great believer in if the dog isn't happy just don't do it do what you can do what you can don't force the dog because if you start forcing the dog the dog's going to get anxious and yeah, that's going to yeah. lead that's going to lead to accidents either the dog might you know fear all, all aggression is his fear yes. so they're just afraid so if they are aggressive then that's kind of your fault you shouldn't have pushed them that far or if you noticed that trait in them you shouldn't have groomed them yeah uh, yeah you know because a lot of people think that oh you should be able to groom every dog well sometimes you can't you know we're not dog trainers mm-hmm. we can only do what we can with the with the time that we have them and we'll you know i'll always do my best but I, sometimes i do have to just say well, this dog's not ready or this dog needs a few more visits it needs to be more relaxed or you know this dog might never be able to be groomed it might just have to be sedated by the vet and shaved off who just you yeah. know that happens sometimes as well it's very sad but yeah do what we can yeah, yeah. So another a question and another potential hot potato. No. <laughs> um, so <laughs> how, you know, if they are nervous, how do you comfort them? And, and is there anything the owner can do to sort of help with that? And on the subject of owners, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, some, some groomers have said it because um, my daughter had a bish on. 
mm-hmm. which she was she was only my daughter was only uh, ten when she had the bish on, and mm-hmm. she was very um, reluctant to sort of send it off to a salon. She wanted to be with. Um, start. Aww. She didn't want, you know. She wanted to make sure she was a very um, conscientious, mummy, you know, and she wanted Aww. to sort of be with. But yeah. you know, groomers have sort of said to us, "Well, actually, it's better if you just hand her over and go." So, yeah. let's talk about that a bit because again, that's um, it's a it's a leap of faith, you know. I'm trusting yeah. somebody with my baby, kind of thing. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about that and why, because that can feel quite quite scary. Somebody says to you, "No, mm. no, no, give me give me the dog and just go." And you. Why? What don't you want me yeah. to see? But t- what's the truth behind? <laughs> and exactly. But what's the truth behind that, Amy? Yeah. Well, the reason that groomers do that, and I believe in that as well. I do that too. Mm. And the reason that we do that is because while the dog is in the grooming room, they need to listen to you as the groomer. Yeah. If their owner is there, they're going to be looking to them for reassurance. They're going to be looking to them for their reaction. They're going to be looking to them for, you know, um, commands. The other the reason we do it is because we need them to stay still. And if, for example, you have a puppy that's very lively and you've just managed to get it to stand still, to have its nails trimmed or its ears done or whatever, and then the owner goes, good girl, and then the dog reacts (laughs) to the owner and you start all over again. That's the main reason is because with the input of the client – the dog sometimes won't relax. They won't just stay still. And it's because they're excited. They're in a new place. There's new smells. The smells are of dogs and they're thinking what's going on. Also, the presence of the owner could make them think that they're at the vet because you'll always be in with your dog at the vet. Mm. Whereas with a groomer, if they know that they can come in and it's like, oh, right, oh, you aren't the vet. I remember you. You're the groomer. They will instantly relax because they know that they're not going to be having, you know, whatever that's going to be doing to them which usually isn't very nice um you know so that's why we say we would prefer it if the owner isn't in the room now there are exceptions the exception is that if the dog is very old and it has dementia Mm. which does happen actually the owner's presence in that instance is very helpful because the dog, no matter how kind of far advanced its dementia is, will always recognise its owner's presence. Mm. So in the instances where I've had dogs that have have that condition, the owner has just sat in the room and either chatted to me about their holiday or whatever, or they've just sat and read the paper out loud. Yeah. So any that kind of presence is really quite helpful. Also, the dog is, is usually very elderly, so it's not going to be jumping around the yes. table and moving around a lot. It knows the ropes. It knows what's going on. You know, It knows that it's having its feet played with and it doesn't really care. Um, what it doesn't know is that, you know, is the owner coming back? You know, what's going on? They can get quite anxious and nervous. So having the owner in the room then is absolutely fine but any other time i would absolutely prefer that the dog is just with me and not for any underhanded you know shady (laughs) i'm not going to stop beating the dog or anything when they've gone or you know anything like that i just want that dog to trust me and to listen to me and to know me yeah um and that way I can form a bond with the dog as well, which is really important. I want that dog to come through the door and be like, I'm at the groomers, but I'm with Amy. Yay! Yes. You know, <laughs> and enjoy it rather than be like, I'm at the owner. I'm, I'm at the groomers with my owner and someone else. Yeah. I don't really yeah. know who this person is, but they're touching me. But I want to be with my owner. I don't want to be with this person. Whereas if they know me, there's none of that. And that that's why groomers do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like find yourself a good groomer that you trust and then just trust them, let them get on with it. 
absolutely yeah and the great thing about grooming today is that there's the internet so you can just look at reviews yeah and you yeah. can see i mean if if a, if a groomer has a reputation for being you know abusive to dogs which i think is incredibly rare mm, mm. that will be everywhere yeah that will be absolutely everywhere online whereas if the uh, you know obviously sometimes you will get a one-star review and it will be for whatever reason but mm. if the majority of the reviews are good then the groomer is going to be a good groomer and you get a feel as well for people you know it's you you just get a feel for people if you if you talk to the groomer and you think i'm not sure about this but just go with your gut yes yeah yes, you know if you happy. think there's something yes. not right you know maybe i shouldn't take my dog here then don't you know yeah. that's fine <laughs> yeah good advice good advice yeah yeah now yeah. of course you know your stuff because you help people you know become groomers and become great groomers as well don't you so tell me we about do that. yeah we, yeah yeah, we, we train people to become dog groomers. So I started grooming, oh gosh, almost 19 years ago now. And as I say, I set up in my, in my garage. And about 10 years ago, I was starting to to think, mm, I want a bit of company. I love the dogs, but I would like somebody else in the room with me. <laughs> I was kind of going through the motions. I've been doing it for quite a while. So I felt like I was, and, I, and I've always enjoyed, you know, the training aspect of anything. So we do first aid courses and that kind of thing, mm. for example. So I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll have a go. So I took a training qualification um, and I'm now a tacker assessor as well. So I can train people in city and guilds. Uh, and I, and I set up the training school and it was just, you know, I had such a good database of dogs so i knew the dogs that would be fantastic models mm. and um you know over the years those dogs have you know sadly they've passed away but the owners have got new dogs and you know we have sort of a, a steady flow of dog models yeah. and we started advertise started advertising for um for students people that wanted to learn the, the trade and you know to have an experienced dog groomer by their side supervising what they were doing and we we just got inundated so i moved out of my garage into a big unit and one half of it, it's a 2500 square foot unit mm. um one side of it is dog daycare that my partner i keep saying we because my partner runs the daycare side mm. and i run the grooming side so the other side is grooming which includes groomer training so what we we will do is is we will we'll get people in who want to become dog groomers or they want to learn how to groom their own dogs and we'll train them how to do that great Oh, it sounds yeah. lovely. It's in a lovely work environment as well. Um, yeah. yeah, 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 and smashing. And how lovely that you know you, you you started up and it's and it's grown and grown and encompassed other people and you're helping them on their journey now. Yeah, I mean it's it is crazy because when we when I set up the recession no when I set up the training sorry the mm. recession was just starting to hit yeah so I of course like everybody else was thinking oh no the bottom's going to fall out of this I need to start thinking about another career and I remember having a discussion with my accountant mm. after the you know when the recession was fizzling out and he said if I'd have known how buoyant the pet industry is <laughs> i would have advised all my clients to go into the pet industry <laughs> because it was one of the only ones mm. you know we had banks crumbling around us construction firms going under and the pet industry was just getting stronger yeah and we yeah. thought any minute now surely you know what, what's going on is this gonna be sustainable and i wasn't noticing any you know dipping clients or income you know so it was mm. it was amazing mm. to see 
how it was one of the only industries that grew during yeah. the recession and that just speaks volumes oh yeah about yeah. about it as an industry and about how much we love our animals as well yes, in, in this country specifically yeah. Yeah, specifically because i because i'm from here in the uk you know dogs are well our emblem is a british bulldog isn't it yes. so we were all yeah. about the animals especially the dogs <laughs> yeah. so yeah people people absolutely adore their dogs and rightly so and and as groomers we we have to um understand that that dogs are part of part of a family they're not just a dog you know they are they are loved members of families yeah. and we treat them as such oh lovely that's lovely um it's it's great and you've, you've said some really you know spot on things now it's been lovely to talk to you and i hope that's um yeah. informed some people and sort of and helped some people yeah, um I hope. It, is there anything that we haven't covered today amy that we, you'd like to say I don't think so. I mean, you know, I'm I'm more than happy because because we're an independent, uh, we're we're grooming salon. But as I say, as you, you've already mentioned, we are a training salon. I'm the company director, and I'm more than happy if any of your listeners have any questions and they just want to chat about their dog or their grooming needs or anything like that. They can just get in touch with me, and I'm I'd be more than happy just to have a conversation with them, even if they live in you know Germany or whatever. Oh, lovely, lovely. Yeah. That's great. Well, saying that. Where can people find out more about you online? Okay, well, we are available on, we have a website, which is www.pawpaddogs.co.uk, and that's P-A-W-P-A-D, mm-hmm. so pawpaddogs.co.uk. We're also on Facebook, which is at the Pawpad UK, and we're on Twitter, which is at pawpaddogs. Um and yeah, we are, we're available. You can send us email or you can call us or you can get in touch with us via Twitter or Facebook or email. That's great. Well, thank you ever so much for that, Amy. I'm sure that's helped a lot of people and, and as I say, informed and educated a lot of people. So um, the best of luck. Yeah, thank you very much. There you go. Everything you want to know about dog grooming, but were afraid to ask. Thanks to Amy for giving such a clear, honest insight into the grooming world. And we have all the links Amy mentioned on dogcastradio.com. The character of Chewbacca in Star Wars was inspired by George Lucas's big, hairy Alaskan Malamute, Indiana. That's about it for today. Except to say that Buddy and Mischief are doing well. I hope your dogs are happy and healthy and staying cool enough as summer arrives in the Northern Hemisphere. In our next episode, we have a treat for anyone interested in wolves when I interview Jim and Jamie Dutcher about their time living amongst wolves and their book, The Wisdom of Wolves, Lessons from the Sawtooth Pack. Until then, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident dogcastradio. That's all one word, dogcastradio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. 
And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Dogs are tough. I've been interrogating this one for hours and he still won't tell me who's a good boy.